You're listening to What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. In this episode, I talk to David Barclay Moore, whose debut novel comes out on September 19th, entitled The Stars Beneath Our Feet. And this is a middle grade story about a boy named Lolly coming to age in Harlem. And so listen in as David talks about his background and and how he came to write The Stars Beneath Our Feet. So listen in. So David, what book hooked you? Well, the, the book that hooked me, at least one of the books, was uh, Madeline Lingle's uh, A Wrinkle in Time. What was it about this book uh, that really captured you? Well, I mean, the first time it kind of came onto my radar as a child was, you know, I was trying to remember the name of the TV show, but I can't. But it was a, a, an NBC TV show for kids that came on Saturday mornings. And I, I loved it because I'm, as a child, I, I was big on drawing, you know. And this was a half-hour show that was part live action, part animation. And uh, the animation was basically kind of drawn by the hosts of the show. So they had kind of like these magic markers and things and and they would draw on this board and the animations would come to life. And one of the elements of the show is they had like a book section where they would talk about books. And uh, one of the books they talked about was A Wrinkle in Time. And this would have been back in the 1980s. Um, and I think it was probably after they had kind of a relaunch of the book around 1980, 1979, something like that. It was republished or, you know, republished republished and uh they had a really short segment on uh, a wrinkle in time that i saw as a child that really captured my attention and made me want to seek the book out and so i i uh, actually bought it went to a bookstore which you know back then they actually had real bookstores you could walk into right right right. (laughs) at the local plaza and bought it and uh, loved it and you know, followed up with uh, several of the other books in that storyline that that came afterward, like I think a wind in the door and a swiftly tilting planet, and whatnot. And so, about what age was this? Oh gosh, this, I was probably like around nine, ten, eleven. Okay. And were you a big reader around this time? I was. I was. I read a lot of books. I also read a, a lot of comic books. You know, I started reading comic books when I was probably like around six, actually. Um, and, um, you know, I uh, loved the the school library. I loved our local library um, back in Missouri where I, where I grew up. Uh, I would spend a lot of evenings there. My mother would drop me off and I would go down to like the lower level area, which was like a really beautiful, magical children's book Uh just kind of hang out um, and, um, you know, beautifully decorated and lots of kind of plush things and soft furniture and bean, beanbag chairs you could lay on and beautiful storybooks, you know, that you could read. And, uh, you know, I would always take out storybooks and when I got older, you know, chapter books. And it seemed like I was always late returning them. You know, that was a big right. thing <laughs> where the book finds. But um, but that was like that uh, that live local 
library branch was a significant part of my um, kind of creative journey, you know, um, as a as a youngster, and also both both my mother and my my grandmother were were big readers, and my my grandmother had like a a lot of books in her home and a little tiny library area in in her home, and my mother read a lot of horror novels and, and mystery novels and, and and whatnot, and in fact, um, our or my nickname that I gave to my mother as a child was the queen of horror because she loved so many horror novels. <laughs> and so books were a big part of your family life. It then sounds like you getting taken to the library, your mom being a big avid reader. Uh, so you never, you were introduced to reading in books at a very early age. Um, do you, th- and is that something that just, kind of continue with you as you continue to grow up once you reach sort of adolescent middle school high school age yeah i think it did kind of it stuck with me and I, I think one of the keys with children in general with um books and reading is if you hook them early then you you know oftentimes i think you have them for uh, for life oftentimes you know with some groups it doesn't stay that way um there's a, a lot of problems i think with with young boys you know kind of staying with reading but for the most part i think the key is to get kids when they're you know when they're when they're early when they're young and early in their kind of reading careers um you know one of the i I kind of posted on twitter recently i think last week actually um there was uh the creator of um paddington bear passed away and i posted something on twitter uh, about that being one of my earliest kind of book memories. And, you know, it wasn't that I was a huge Paddington Bear fan, but my grandmother was. And uh, she loved Paddington Bear. She had like little tiny Paddington Bears. And there was just something about that character that she really appreciated, you know. And um, that's kind of one of my earliest um literary memories is, is a Paddington bear. So it was, it was sad to see that the, the creator had sure. passed away. Yeah. So then in high school, uh, you know, when you're kind of deep in your teenage years, do you, did your reading habits change at all? Were you reading different genres or, you know, were you still very much in the comics? Uh, what were you picking up around that time? Yeah. You know, I read a lot of, started reading a lot of classics, uh, I think when I was in prep school, um, like Ivanhoe and and a lot of Mark Twain. Um, Mark Twain grew up not too far from where I grew up in Missouri, and so we actually went to his home growing up. and And Huckleberry Finn was a, a huge, you know, favorite of, of mine uh, growing up. Um, and I read a lot of comic books. You know, when I was in that high school age, is probably when I most intensely read comics probably um and graphic novels uh particularly like richard corbin who's a very one of the biggest kind of uh artists comic book artists from the out from the 1970s era you know heavy metal and whatnot uh john byrne frank miller you know was hugely and uh huge fan of uh bob burden who's uh kind of an absurdist comic book um, artist and writer based out of Atlanta, you know, and so Paul Chadwick was another one. So, you know, those were like in that kind of high school 
era, you know, that that took up like a lot of my time, and also some also a lot of classics for for whatever reason, like Jules Verne and whatnot. So you said uh, that you saw first saw Wrinkle of Time because you were big in the drawing, and that television show had drawing elements in it, and you were a big comic book fan. So were you did drawing? Uh, is that something that continued with you as like a hobby and a pastime throughout throughout uh, as you grew up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. Um, I've talked about this a little bit about how you know I've kept um, sketchbooks over the years. You know, going back to when I was in grade school, like lower grade school, I would keep these uh, sketchbooks or notebooks uh, of drawings, and they were basically just kind of doodles. And the doodles became comic books, uh, comic strips rather, um, and eventually when these notebooks, you know, I would get new notebooks as I needed them, as I would fill them up, you know, and I, I still have all of them uh, in storage, you know, and you could, if you look through them, you can progressively see the doodles and cartoons becoming like bits of dialogue to sketches of things to um, sentences and short stories and ideas for screenplays and short stories and novels. And, you know, so it's a, and to this day, you know, I, I keep, uh, one of the Moleskine um, mm-hmm. books, as well as now I have a digital uh, OneNote that I use, which is, uh, you know, I can doodle in that as well as uh, type and, and do everything else. So it's kind of, you know, uh, evolved in that way. So you were kind of creating through drawings, uh, but then was there any, were you at the same time, were you writing stories or creating in that way at any in any fashion? Uh, well, yeah, I was when I was drawing, I was creating stories, like I said, like comic strips, and actually made actual physical comic books of some of my stories. Um, you know, I had different characters that I um, uh, would make comic books for. Uh, I have a whole series, a whole universe of characters that I created when I was very young. That uh, just recently, um, as a young adult. I developed an idea for a series of children's novels about those characters uh, and as a young adult. And so now recently, as an older adult, you know, I'm looking at um, someday publishing at least one novel based on those characters that I created. You know, So one of the things that I was talking about very recently in a talk that I gave was that when I was younger, a child, uh, one of the reasons I was I was so attentive to recording these stories back then was because I, I just assumed that when I got to be really old, like 40, that, um, you know, 40 was old back then, but I just assumed that like, I wouldn't have, I'd be drained of ideas. You know, I, I would, I, I would have lost my creativity, you know, because right. I will, will have been so old by then. And so, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to record these stories and um, keep uh, track of them was so that, later on I could go back and, and use them, you know, and develop them into ideas at a time when um, I probably wouldn't have any more ideas. So with that, so when you were young, you kind of had the foresight to kind of keep these ideas. Were you thinking that it's because when I get older, I'm going to be a person that creates and tells stories? Was that kind of how you envisioned things? Yeah. Yeah. I always, saw myself as a storyteller i always assumed that i would write books and make movies 
um, which is you know what I do now. Um, I never, I've never once in my life uh, doubted that, or you know, or just it was just something I, I knew that I would do, and you know, that I just always was so create had such a lot of creative energy, and uh, lots of ideas and a desire to tell stories, you know. So um, that's you know really what I always wanted to do. And what did you? Was there a certain type of story that you? thought you were going to tell as far as genre uh, and things like that yeah well when i was very young uh i was a huge geek i'm probably one of the original old school geeks you know <laughs> <laughs> i was a geek before it was uh popular um but um yes yeah, so i loved like fantasy science fiction particularly science sci-fi um and uh, like i said i read a lot of comic books and superhero stories you know uh, but as I got older, uh, in my teens, um, you know, I kind of other areas opened up to me. Like I really, uh, Spike Lee as a, as a filmmaker was very important for me. Uh, Toni Morrison as a writer was very important. Haruki Murakami, another author, was very um, uh, important. And uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, so... You know, those basically kind of opened up a new world for me, and a lot of kind of black storytellers really kind of made it evident to me that you know that I, that I could go and you know uh, make a living at storytelling and, and tell stories to a, um, a, a wide variety of people. So that's kind of where you kind of saw yourself. So after you graduate uh, from high school. Where where do you head off then? Uh, I got a scholarship to Iowa State University, so I, I went there, and uh, that was a very productive period for me. I also, while I was at uh, Iowa State University, I, I did two visiting programs, one at Howard University in Washington, D.C., which is uh, an historically black college, mm-hmm. and then another at uh, l'Université de, Mont- de Montpellier, which is a French university in southern France. The period at Howard was particularly uh, fruitful for me. You know, when I was at Iowa State, um, before I left to go to Howard on a visiting program for three semesters, one of the more interesting things that happened was I had a chance to meet Ozzie Davis, who is a, well, he's passed away now, but the late Ozzie Davis, he was a very prestigious film actor. Uh, had a very long career. He was an older guy, but uh, recent. But at, at that time, he had acted in a few Spike Lee films, like Do the Right Thing and Jungle Fever. And anyhow, so he had just uh, he gave a lecture on campus, and during the reception afterwards, I was able to approach him and chat with him. And I, I did ask him at the time, well, you know, Mr. Davis, would you please uh, read one of my screenplays so I can get some feedback from you? And he very politely kind of redirected me uh, and to basically, you know, he had said like, well, when, you know, when I was like a young man like your age in Harlem in the 1940s, me and my friends, we would sit around and read each other's work, you know. So that's what you need to do. You need to do that, you know. And so, yeah, it was a nice kind of redirect in that he was basically got away from reading my screenplay, right. but he also put a, a kernel of an idea in my head as far as starting a writer's group, which is, what I did do when I went to um, Howard University on a visiting program like the next year, uh, about or maybe two years later, 
And I started a, a, an organization called YAWA, which stood for Young African Writers Association. Uh, and uh, it was, YAWA was a great experience for me. You know, um, I basically took Mr. Davis, Davis's advice and, and started this organization where we got together bi-weekly as young writers of color and we read each other's work, you know, and we started off this meeting and then we did eventually like readings and poetry gatherings out in the city and we were asked to do like a TV commercial and different things. And some really important writers came out of that group, uh, like uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates um, came out of there, uh, Yona Harvey, who's like a, a Marvel Comics a writer and a poet, award-winning poet, Robbie Howard, who's like a, an award-winning novelist, uh, Tasha Tarpley, who's a children's book author, uh, Kemp Powers, who's writing the new Star Trek TV show, uh, one of the writers on there. Uh, Jelani Cobb was part of it as well, as a journalist and academic. Um, and, you know, lots of other folks were involved. So it was, it was a really a magical time. And a lot of talent came out of that group. And I'm so happy that uh, Ozzy Davis gave me that kind of idea to start that. That's great. And so with kind of creating this community for yourself of, of writers and creators, uh, how do you think you then as a creator kind of grew in that experience? I don't know if that experience, the Yao experience didn't necessarily help me evolve as a storyteller. I think what it did do is it helped me realize that I could organize like that. You know, organize a group of people and go out and do things in the community. Sure. sure. Uh, you know, and it also, I guess, was a confidence builder as well. Uh, and also, it's it's it was great just kind of being around your peers and sharing. You know, that was one of the things that we always talked about is this whole idea of sharing. You know, it was right. very important. And I, you know, I got a lot of satisfaction out of it in that you know some very tangible things came out out of that organization like um Ta-Nehisi got his first kind of nationally published piece out of that you know the publishing a an anthology for random house called testimony and the, the editor was a part of yawa you know so that came out of that uh, relationship he established in that group uh yona harvey the um poet you know when she started in yawa she i believe was a nursing student and she was a very talented writer but of course her mother was like well you you know you're not going to make money as a poet or writer you know you got to do something practical and so when she started she was a nursing student and uh, after a while she was like you know she switched her major over and she just is a writer now she's like this you know phenomenon right today so and so you were in school uh, you were creating screenplays. So did you really kind of uh, see yourself as a filmmaker more than a, than an author? Or were, this, was, were both kind of side-by-side side parallel? You were kind of working on both at the same time. You know, working on, I was working on being a writer and a filmmaker at the same time. I mean, I was primarily focused on film. Um, I... Um, had thought that writing would be something that I would do and focus on more so when I um, got to be older, you know? And also at the time I, I, you know, I would write short stories and I I had some short stories published, but, uh, and I also had opportunity to be published myself in different anthologies and stuff, which I passed up on for whatever reason. I have no idea. (laughs) 
<laughs> but back then, I don't know, the, the idea of being published in an anthology to the 20-something me was not appealing, and I have no idea why that was, but... Um, but uh, yeah, but but I guess you know the writing a novel always seemed very daunting to me. You know, it's something I thought that I would do, but I thought it would take time for me to learn how to do it and to be able to kind of you know write that many words down into one story. I guess you so after school you've had these experiences at, at Howard and over in France, uh, and then. You know, when it comes to filmmaking, obviously filmmaking, that's that's a hard thing because it takes money, it takes resources uh, and people. Uh, so when you're kind of trying to navigate that industry or that realm, uh, how did you find that? Um, well, you know, I, when I moved after I graduated and moved to New York and I just had like a little bit of money and I was going to move to the Big Apple and make it in New York, you know. You know, initially I had just a lot of freelance gigs here. You know, uh, when I was in my mid twenties, and so I would do freelance kind of film production uh, for different entities. Um, I would also do a lot of uh, temp work, you know, and some teaching and stuff like that. Just in, uh, I did a lot of uh, photography as well. I shot for Associated Press as a freelancer and for Vibe magazine as a freelancer. And so I was doing a lot of different things, you know, kind of juggling a lot of different kind of freelance and temp stuff uh, until I landed a, um, a gig or a position at Sony um, Studio One, which is a, 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 a video production studio within Sony Electronics. And I was uh, I got a position there as a, a technical producer, which was, you know, full time and, 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 and whatnot. And so, you know, after then, I, I kind of learned a lot of a lot more like I had taken some film classes and video production classes in college but you know working in that studio was a very educational experience for me uh, I worked on a lot of the original kind of um, high definition video shoots that Sony was doing like with the um, the uh, Rose Bowl parade out in California and whatnot um, and eventually uh, started applying for film grants and was you know, successful in getting some monies from the Ford Foundation and the Jerome Foundation and other uh, entities to produce um, documentary film, you know, and uh, along the whole while writing screenplays, which I still do. I still write screenplays, you know. So you have a book coming out, uh, The Stars Beneath Our Feet. When in kind of your timeline as you're as you're getting more and more involved in the film industry, did uh, the idea to really sit down and start uh, a novel uh, come to you? The idea to sit down and actually finally write like a novel started a, few, a couple of years before I started at Harlem Children's Zone. Uh, and I was at Harlem Children's Zone for about eight years as its communications coordinator, which primarily, I mean, it involved a lot of stuff, but primarily it was about making these little tiny documentary films for the organization. And Harlem Children's Zone is an anti-poverty organization. And so, you know, shortly before I started there, uh, as a kind of the video communications person there, um, I had started writing a bunch of short stories. And I wrote them, uh, you know, compiled them about 12 to 15 short stories into a collection called Time and Place. And... Um, 
that I wrote. And then right after that, I started writing uh, a novel. Actually, um, kind of a, I guess, what was it? I guess I call it like a hybrid novel, um, an adult, kind of a, a YA adult hybrid novel, I would guess, mm-hmm. which, you know, I still have. It hasn't been published, but... <laughs> And yeah, you know, so I wrote that novel. I signed with like a really with the, well, I guess I, I won't say her name, but a really big literary agent um, here in New York. And I was very excited. And she wasn't really able to do anything with the the that novel that I'd written. And the novel I'd written was called um, um, Soul Kitchen. Actually, Holbert Holbert's original Soul Kitchen was the name of the novel. Uh, and so in the meantime, while she was trying to sell that kind of unsuccessfully, and she had also, I think, kind of gone into semi-retirement right when I signed with her. So, uh, But immediately after writing that kind of hybrid novel, I started writing, uh, to, started writing a series of YA novels, which were kind of speculative-based, and uh, which were kind of closer to my kind of geek heart as far as, uh, you know, telling a story that is like a science fiction romp or adventure, right? Um, I wrote two of those and then, you know, started working at, um, at Harlem Children's Zone. And while I was there at Harlem Children's Zone and after I switched agents and, and um, signed with my current agent, who is um, Steve Malk of, of Writer's House, um, decided to write a, uh, a literary novel that was kind of partially inspired by some of the the stories that I'd heard while living and working in Harlem at the time, you know, um, a lot of stories that, uh, people don't usually hear, uh, stories of kind of the black community in Harlem, uh, living on kind of the edge of poverty. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I currently, I don't live in Harlem anymore, but I did for several years and I worked there for eight years. And so I, you know, I developed kind of an intimate relationship with, the people of Harlem and and Harlem itself as a community. And that a lot of that fed into my current middle grade novel, uh, The Stars Beneath Our Feet. The Stars Beneath Our Feet kind of revolves around uh, the main character, Lolly or Wallace, and his life. Uh, when you kind of look at the cast of characters, Lolly and, and all of them, were they based not maybe entirely on those people uh, and those children that you were interacting with, but did you pull a lot of character traits and inspiration from them? You know, there's not a lot of um, borrowing from real people in in my novel. I mean, there is some. Uh, there's a character named Steve who appears early in the novel and is almost kind of like uh, an uncle-type figure to my central character of Lolly. And Steve was inspired by uh, actually a friend of mine uh, who kind of grew up in similar circumstances. You know, So that, that's, that's one. And even then, the character's not completely based on you know, the real character, the real person, rather. <laughs> Yvonne, which is the, the girlfriend of Lolly's mother, uh, just some of her mannerisms uh, were uh, inspired by uh, someone that I know who works in Harlem, who is a, a custodian, actually. And she's a um, young um, 
black female custodian who's who's lesbian. And so, so a lot of times when I was thinking about how Yvonne would talk, I would kind of think about that person, you know. Uh, some of the things that Lolly and Vega talk about and do and react to were, were kind of based on some 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 real interactions that I had with some kids in Harlem. Uh, not only, not not really at Harlem Children's Zone, but more at. Uh, I also taught a little bit in Harlem as a, a language arts instructor uh, in in central central Harlem. And uh, like for instance, I, I, there was one young. A uh, student of mine, who's a big tall kid, kind of awkward, uh, and um, re- really sweet kid, but would get into trouble, uh, you know, a lot. He's kind of borderline, you know, troublesome. And I remember one day I was talking with him about shopping on 125th Street in Harlem, which is like the main drag in Harlem, where everybody, all the sh- you know stores are, where you can buy things and, and whatnot. And uh, I was talking about how I used to like to buy sneakers on 125th Street. And he had mentioned, yeah, I like to go down there, too, but I have to be careful when I go down there because uh, I might get jumped. You have to go down there. I have to roll deep when I when I go down to 125th. And for me, as a young man, looking at him as, like, this adolescent, I hadn't really thought of that, you know. Even both of us being black men, right? I, I, I hadn't really thought about being afraid of walking down 125th Street because someone might try to steal my shoes like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, or I might get jumped by a group of my peers because I was walking alone, you know? Uh, things like that do happen to adults, but I, I think that the world that that adolescent was living in was very different from the world that I lived in. And that's something that I bring up specifically in my novel uh, there's you know one part in which the character Lolly does uh, talk about that. I think at the beginning of the novel he talks about walking down 125th Street and just not feeling safe. And if it wasn't for that kind of interaction with those kids, uh, whether in your teaching or your uh, time at the Harlem Children's Zone, do you think you would have ever approached writing something for middle grade? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I just think that those experiences make this novel richer because of it. You know, obviously a big aspect of this novel is Legos and Lolly is kind of a collector, enjoys them. That's sort of his pastime to a sense. Was there a specific inspiration where you got that you had along the way that, that made Legos, uh, that element, uh, the kind of, has thematic uh, and plot points throughout the book? You know, the whole Lego thing is not really based upon anything that I experienced. Uh, It really came about um, for me to kind of waking up one morning and it kind of, the residue of that being in my head from a dream that I had, (laughs) Um, you know, which often happens with me. A lot of times, one of my best times for writing is right when I wake up even like before I, you know, brush my teeth or stretch or anything. And, you know, a lot of times I just, you know, crawl out of bed and sit down right in front of the computer and start writing. Cause it's, it's, I think it's like a tabula rasa thing where I just sure. feel more creative and I'm also still experiencing dreams. And a lot of times I, um, actually just this morning, a lot of times as I'm kind of coming out of dreams, I'm 
it gets to a point where I'm conscious of them and I'm able to shape them in some ways. I do a lot of editing in my head mm-hmm. of different things I'm thinking about. Like I'm writing a, a follow-up novel right now. And so uh, this morning as I was waking up, there was a problem that I was trying to figure out in my head. And so it's, it's just this weird type of thing where it's like almost kind of a dream state, but I'm also like a, a director or editor and, you know, and trying things out until I kind of finally wake up. Right. So, but um, as far as the, going back to what you asked about the Legos, uh, you know, uh, I guess one thing that I've noticed recently in recent years is that, you know, Legos have become huge. I think they're the most popular toy in the world, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, they're not as, they're not as freeform, I think, as they were when I was a kid. Uh, they're much more packaged, right? Sure. So, you know, there's different branding within Legos for like Star Wars or Batman or whatever, Transformers, whatever it may be. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure about Transformers, but, you know, sure. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but anyhow, so they're, they're packaged more. And so I guess one of the things that I was kind of examining as far as Le- uh, Lolly, my character's usage of Legos as, as a type of therapy in the book, was them is just in their kind of abstract form where, you know, they can be the basic kind of um, DNA or, bu- or building blocks for for creating anything out of your imagination, right? And the therapy that's involved in that, and as well as the creativity and imagination that that breeds, you know, that that encourages. You kind of alluded to this, but how much does the your filmmaker mind uh, come into when you're writing a story as far as uh, when you're writing a book and you have scenes and and motivations and characters and when to start a scene, when to end a scene? Has your skills that you've developed as a filmmaker helped improve uh, yourself as a writer? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, I think that my my time as a filmmaker has improved my story editing skills uh, within my novels, um, particularly you know, me as a filmmaker. You know, I I shoot um, most of my work. You know, I produce it and I also edit most of it, right? Uh, and when you're doing that, on a daily basis, particularly like what I was doing when I was at Harlem Children's Zone, that was where I'm basically shooting all this stuff and, and editing it. And it really, and some, some of the stuff you have to, you shoot like a couple of hours and you have to edit it down to two minutes. Right. So you have right. to really quickly get the essence. And there's a, oftentimes there's a, um, there was a, um, a deadline involved. So not only do you have to kind of break it down to its essence, then you have to do it quickly, right? So it really forces you to, to examine story, you know, and uh, from a very utilitarian, you know, uh, perspective, really, uh, which is great. I mean, it's it's great because it's, you know, I think writing, it's an art, but it's also an, a craft, right. you know? And so I think you have to ideally, at least when, as far as I'm concerned, I think there there should be something artistic about it and personal about it. But at the same time, you know, you have to know how to construct a story that will engage people and pull them along, you know. Um, so and then also the documentary filmmaking aspect of it, you know, it's you re- you're really when you go into it, you have a thesis. At least I do. When I go into a documentary film, I have a thesis, right, and an idea 
a question or, or theme or whatever that I want to answer. Uh, but that process of making the film you, is really an exploration. So you discover all these different things along the way, and it can change the nature of the story of the film. That's one of the great things about documentary film is it's, it's different from narrative film in that, you know, documentary, you, you, you can discover so much. And so when those discoveries happen, you have to realize how to kind of integrate them into your story and how it shapes the story and how it changes, which, you know, all that to say is just really, I think, very good experience for, for writing um, narrative, long form narrative fiction. So we're recording this far out from the release date of the star beneath our feet, which is September 19th. But it's in that point where the advanced readers copies are out there and you're, and people are going to start reading and giving feedback to your story. How has that felt that this story that you worked on, you can, you composed and, and uh, kind of slaved over is now out there and people are starting to uh, read it, enjoy it and react to it. Well, it feels great to hear, you know, other people's thoughts and views and opinions about my work, you know, it's, but, you know, so far I've been fortunate in that uh, most of what I read, people have liked it. So I, I feel, you know, feel great about that. Um, I've gotten two positive starred reviews so far, you know, Kirkus and Publishers Weekly. So that those are good to, to you know, and, uh, and it's also just um, initially I've been doing some, some book signings for like librarians and educators and people in the publishing industry. And some of them have read the book, the, the advanced copy already. And so it's kind of interesting to get their take or to read some of their takes online on some of the blogs and, and whatnot. So, and for the most part, it seems like people have kind of got what I have been trying to do with this book, you know? So I think it's, you know, so far, knock on wood, you know, I think it's, it's message has gotten out there and, and people kind of have, have, kind of getting it i think all right so a few questions sort of as we wrap up the first one is and this uh might be an easier one for you since you're a filmmaker what is your favorite movie that's based on a book my favorite movie that's based on a book is a room with a view which is a merchant ivory film uh it's based on the em forster uh novel very good and you said at one point you were really in the classics, uh, especially high school days around that time. Was there is there a classic piece of literature that's well, you know, that's widely read by people uh, that you absolutely can't stand? <laughs> well, you know, there is a Pride and Prejudice. I, I won't I, I won't say that I cannot stand it. That's too strong of a word, but. I guess, you know, the first time I read it, it was a little hard for me to get through. And I, and I love period novels. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but I guess, you know, I've had trouble over the years kind of um, appreciating the the weighty weightiness of it sure. that people kind of ascribe to it. And then finally, what is the last great book that you've read? Well, right now, I mean, the one that's impressed me is Bad uh, Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. Okay. Okay. It's a collection of essays, of her essays. And what about what is it about that book that's that's impressed you as much as it has? 
Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, I've, I've, I sought it out because I'm, okay, so Bad Feminist, I sought out uh, for two reasons, mainly because, you know, Roxanne Gay has become such a kind of phenomenon, and I was kind of curious. And then two, I've been experimenting with my own nonfiction lately and wanting to write more nonfiction because uh, it's something I don't necessarily think is like a strong suit of mine is, is writing nonfiction. Uh, and also I've been reading Mark Twain along with Roxane Gay, is Mark Twain's essays. So, uh, But I guess one of the things that kind of impressed me about Roxane Gay so far is that I think that I'm, I'm kind of interested in how she kind of uses her life as like kind of a prism for examining a lot of larger issues uh, with these very kind of personal stories. And so I find that really interesting and it's almost kind of like um, memoir-like. Well, David, I thank you so much for joining us. The book is The Stars Beneath Our Feet, September 19th, and I wish you and the book the best of luck. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing this, Brock. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully it'll, it'll be a big success and it gets into a lot of um, children's hands. That's, that's what I want more Absolutely. than anything. It's for the, the stars beneath our feet to get into as many children's hands as possible. Absolutely. So thank you. Yes, you're welcome. And that does it for another episode of What Book Cooked You. Special thanks to my guest, David Barclay Moore, for joining me. His book, The Stars Beneath Our Feet, comes out on September 19th. And as he said there at the end, it's important that we get a book like this out to as many kids as we can. So to help that along, I'll be giving away an arc of the book all you have to do to enter is follow the podcast on Twitter at BookHookPodcast. Find the tweet I sent out about this giveaway and retweet it. You have until the 18th of September. I'm happy to support this book and I hope you will too. I'm Brock Shelley and until next time, keep reading.